Welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast, where we help nonprofits reimagine generosity and put the joy back in fundraising. Hear from leading nonprofit fundraisers and marketers as they reveal strategies for strengthening donor relationships to propel your nonprofit forward. Hey, everybody, this is Gabe. Welcome to the Virtuous Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have Trent Dunham with us. Trent is the president of Dunham & Company. Uh, He's been with Dunham since 2003. They're um, a great agency, good friends of ours, and I'm excited about some of the insights that he's going to share with us. So uh, welcome, Trent. Thanks, Gabe. It's good to be with you guys. Always exciting to jump on board with our partners, especially with Virtuous, who we've done so much work with in the past. That's great. Well, hey, I, I think our uh, our listeners would kind of love a little bit about um, what makes you tick, why Dunham & Company, kind of what you guys do in the world, and how you got started in fundraising. Sure. No, I think I think the easiest way to say that is what gets me up in the morning in particular, and what turns the crank for our company is just that we know there are hundreds and hundreds of nonprofit organizations in the country and around the world who are having a certain kind of impact right now and they could be having a bigger impact, but there's a gap between what is and what could be. And our job is to close that gap for them. You know, obviously fundraising is a big component of that, but also is infrastructure also is uh, processes, people, the things programmatically, how those are being expressed. And there's just more, it's more complex than just raise money. Uh, because no matter where you are in the lifespan of an organization, whether you're a startup or you've been around for 150 years, there are issues pertaining to your, the life phase of your organization that have to be dealt with now in order to set you up for immediate and long-term success. That's what we're really passionate about. That obviously um, means that we're working with organizations uh, in, around the world. We have an office in Sydney, Australia. We have one here in Dallas, Texas, and we do have a lot of work in the UK, continental Europe, South Africa, and so the diversity of the ministries we get to serve around the world is, I think, part of what it really energizes us as well. Yeah, that's amazing. And I've, I've seen you guys do that, actually looking at from the outside. Um, actually, some pretty innovative stuff, which is, which is honestly hard for um, a traditional agency to sort of bridge the gap to really thinking holistically and in a more innovative way. So it's, it's fun to see you guys do that. Um, so one of the things I know you guys, and I've talked to several people have used you for this, is is the research that you've done. And so there's a great research component to um, what drives you and what helps you make decisions. Uh, I know a lot of it's been a, around online giving lately. Um, looking at a thing recently that, that was talking about um, what it means for aging donors to give online and, and kind of some of the myths around uh, online activity of aging donors. I, just because that was super interesting for me, I'd love to hear you speak to that a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, because we work with a lot of churches too, there's this myth that the older my dem- my demographic of my people is, the, the older my donors are, means the more paper they're going to want to use, the more checks I'm going to get, which, and there's an element of truth to that. But we all, we oftentimes will just play off the digital aspects of their giving and, and, and how they consume content even. And so we commissioned this study for the purposes of actually dispelling some of the myths you're talking about, because when we look at data, we see people of all ages giving online, but we're trying to find out, is there, could we, you know, do some research that would reveal exactly what the specific uh, 
analytics around, especially what we call the silent generation, 75 or older, which is really uh, kind of, you know, the, 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 the top of that donor pyramid as it relates to age. What are they, what is their experience with online giving? And we, we, our research found, um, and it just to make sure that people understand it's not anecdotal. It's not like we sent out an email survey. We actually commissioned Campbell Rinker, a professional research firm in conjunction with the data that we wanted to try to understand better to go out and find this data. So it's a, it's a, it's a really professionally done uh, research. And we found even just within the last 12 months that silent generations, 75 and older, gave more online gifts than other, most other generations in the past 12 months. That's extremely wow. telling. Wow. Uh, and, uh, and something that should drive us as nonprofits to want to ensure that our online giving experience is super easy. You know, that's one of the things with the older generations is that the more cumbersome, the more steps, the more, more uh, things they have to do in the process, information they have to give, the less likely they're to complete a transaction. So making that a simpler process, but to really embrace the fact that online giving is where it is all headed. In 2015, if I could go this far back, 2015, 6.7% of all online giving, of all giving in the U.S. was done online. That increased to 7.2% in 2016. And we're, the 2017 data will be out in uh, June-ish. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, how that continues to increase year over year. So that 7.2% made up $28 billion in 2016 that was given online. So, I mean, we have to be in this space. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. <clears throat> I love that. I feel like there's just these mantras that are repeated. And I've been, I've been in the space a long time, but you just hear going in nonprofits like, oh, yeah, our, our aging donors don't give online or, you know, none of our millennial donors want any mail at all. It makes them angry or you shouldn't ever send paper receipts or, you know, there's sort of all these things. And I feel like every nonprofit's just been repeating the things to each other for so long that they just all kind of believe them. But when you actually go back and dig in and do the hard research, you find that, you know, while some of those things may have been true at one point, they, they change over time. And so it's really helpful research. So on that note, I know the millennials is one of those things that, that a lot of people have wrongly stereotyped over time. And you guys are, are learning a lot uh, about how to reach millennials and why to reach millennials. Can you speak a little bit to some of that research? Sure. I think one of the things that's clear that we all, I think, believe and I think is accurate is that millennials need to be inspired more. They need to have uh, uh, data a little bit more of like the evidence of what their giving has turned into, the impact that it's had. They need that story to be completed for them. And th those are all true. And I think we would all say that, that we kind of recognize and understand that about the millennial generation. But I think one of the things that we wanted to focus on in this, in this research is we actually did research on millennial donors specifically. Hmm. So not millennials in general, but millennial donors. What, what, what's different about millennials who give? And some of the stuff that we found out is pretty obvious and some of it may be not totally obvious to people. One of the things is their church attendance is pretty frequent. So their religious service attendance, it may be yep. a religion, okay. their religious attendance to services is a pretty high rate, um, which is not too surprising. I think you could probably make that assumption about every generation that uh, religious service attendance to giving is that there is a correlation there. 
but also that their preferred destination for giving oftentimes was a house of worship over social justice missions, which wow. when you think millennials, what do you think of most, right? Yeah, social justice for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, it also gives us a mind that those donors who are millennials helps us understand what their profiles a little bit more, that they're actually more interested in religion than uh, we either believe or give them credit for, which is, which is pretty fascinating. Wow. Yeah. I, I would have never guessed that I'd, I'd heard some of the, I think the, the church attendance um, research before how it was, I was a little bit different than a lot of people kind of, assume you know and it depends on how you do the survey and who you're talking to but uh that's super interesting but i i i guess i'd always heard and assumed that the giving was almost not exclusively targeted at social justice but it was way more social justice heavy than it was church heavy and so that's that's really interesting research yeah um okay so a lot of the orgs we deal with and i know this is it for you too it's it's really hard for a nonprofit to stay out ahead of the innovation and technology curve. You know, if you kind of look at the curve of, of earlier adopters through your kind of middle of the pack guys out to your laggards, nonprofits seem like they're always running on the back half of that curve. And uh, things have changed a lot in the last 15 years. So um, social media, we talk a lot about personalization, how now because of social and, and Netflix or whatever, almost all of my brand experience are personalized to me but the way people communicate, how they communicate, how things like AI um, allow people to have more personal experiences. Uh, it, it has shifted the world dramatically and I see nonprofits struggling to keep up. So for you guys, the nonprofits you're working with, how, how do you help nonprofits bridge that gap? What are you guys doing internally at, at Dunham to sort of be on the front edge and then how do you educate your nonprofits? So I think one of the things with innovation is you have to be committed to it organizationally. It's one of the things that we've done is we actually have someone, their entire job is innovation. And he also is someone who's out on the front edge for us uh, as it relates to social media and technology. His name is Neil Smith. He actually offices out of New York City, um, but is someone who basically goes across over the hill for us and reports back on what's coming up next. Uh, so we're right now actually working with the majority of our clients on implementing, implementing Apple pay wow. uh, for their uh, giving experience where um, if I could be so bold as to say in the next few months talking about an implementation for cryptocurrency, being able for uh, uh, nonprofit organizations to be able to receive donations from cryptocurrency. We're trying to be as far out in front of that wagon as we can possibly get. At the same time, you also have to have a practical application for that. Where, where there's a lot of nonprofit organizations who aren't prepared to be that forward thinking, but that don't want to be so far behind that they're archaic. And so we're mindful of the fact that the testing that we do kind of in a almost obsessive compulsive kind of way to tell us where, how best we engage with people on digital platforms, what they're consuming, how they convert when they get into the ministry's environment, uh, is something that we overlay on every organization that we work with so that that experience is extrapolated across uh, every experience and not just for those that can afford to invest in, you know, thinking ahead and things like that. So it's a complicated world. We've got two of our employees right now today that are at the FA conference at Facebook 
uh, as they're announcing everything that's going on there. And that's just part of kind of our commitment to making sure we're on the front edge of what's happening. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I love to hear that. And I, I think you're right. You kind of hit on a little bit that the, the trick is not just implementing a technology, it's, it's solving an actual problem, right? So you show up at a, the traditional rubber chicken dinner and you offer Bitcoin as a giving solution, you're, you're not going to have great results. But, right. you know, if you can help a, a, a nonprofit that's doing work in Africa understand how um, crypto can potentially aid in the exchange of money without really uh, unstable currency markets or, or government corruption that you see in some of those places, okay, well now, like, you know, now you're talking about solving a more interesting problem. And so it's, it's helping people get past just sort of the flash of saying they use some cool technology and actually moving to the problems that it solves, which is a lot of fun. Absolutely. No, that's really good. So, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, but I'd like to, for you to talk a little more into some of the common myths and misconceptions that you hear all the time. I know we we probably hear a lot of the same stuff you do, but what are the things that come up that you see around fundraising that, that get perpetuated as myths that, that you guys see a little bit different? Well, we don't have three hours, so I'll try to keep it. <laughs> but uh, I, I'll go hit a couple of the main ones. And because we were talking about generations previously with millennials and the silent generation, et cetera, one of the greatest myths is that um, giving is generational. It, giving has nothing to do with generation. Giving has everything to do with life phase. And uh, there was a study that came out in the, I want to say early to mid 1980s that said the boomer generation is the least generous uh, generation in the history of the world. Well, you know why they were the least generous? They had uh, a house full of kids, uh, limited discretionary income. They were not at their peak earning years in their career. And so there was nothing for them to give. If there, if there was, there were, there were outliers, right? There are people who, who a small segment of their generation who had made it already. Well, the same thing today, the millennials are, oh, they're just not very generous. Well, you know why? Because they don't have any discretionary income to give. Now we say, we know for a fact, the boomer generation is the most generous generation there has been. So if uh, the one myth is it's not generational, it's life phase. Number two, as, a re as it relates to that, is be comfortable with your donor database being skewing a little older in age. I um, abhor the sentiment or the comment that we've got to get our donor base younger. I, it, it's nonsensical to me. Now, are there strategies we need to implement now to engage the younger generation so we're top of mind when they do have discretionary income to give? Absolutely. Those need to be strategies. Should we spend 40% of our budget to do that? No, we should not. Should we maximize the engagement of those people that do have discretionary income? They are at their peak earning years. They do have kids out of the house and out of college. Absolutely, because that's how we're going to maximize engagement and revenue now. So I think that's one of those things that you can get me on my soapbox, as you can tell. <laughs> you can wind me up real quickly. But just kind of get over the fact that your, your donor base is going to be 55 to 75 and somewhere in that range based on your organization and be comfortable with it uh, as, as the middle of the bell curve, if you will. <laughs> That's great. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've had that same discussion where they're like, I, we have to, our, our donors are going to die. Our average age is 63. We have to get that down. Be like, no, you don't. They're white. And I'll, and I'll, it's a great data analytics are a really powerful tool and data pins that you didn't have before, but you can just easily slice and dice their data to say, how old's your average donor? Well, it's 63. And then you pull the same slice five years back. How old was your average donor five years ago? 63. 
Five years before that, 63. Five years before that, 63. I'm like, do you not see, like, they're not aging. 63-year-olds just got their last kid off to college and they got money to give. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's not a generational thing. So anyway, that's, I love that soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's great. Okay. So, um, super, super helpful. I love that. So helpful, I think, for our listeners. Um, We usually finish up here with a little bit of a lightning round. So if it's okay, I'm just going to hit you with a couple of uh, quick questions and and let you give a uh, response. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So first one is what, what book have you read in the last year that had the biggest impact on you? And if you don't have one in the last year, you can dig a little farther back too. Yeah, no, sure. Last year. So, uh, Wayne Cadero pastor out of Honolulu wrote a book called, uh, leading on empty and it's for pastors. It's a great leadership book. Uh, just because a lot of us in leadership roles will get burnt out. We'll get, we will, we'll run ourselves ragged as we either launch organizations or as we manage the significant growth or whatever. And it was just a good, it was a good lesson for me on being a little more intentional with pacing yourself for the long run so that you're around in 10, 20 years to really see that thing through. Wow. That's great. I love that. That sounds like a good read for me right now, actually. Um, so uh, podcast, you got any podcast you really like if, if you don't have a, a short commute, if you have a long, you know, long commute like me, a podcast, short commute, you probably don't. So you can default to your favorite Netflix show or whatever over the wire thing you like. But you have podcasts you do? So actually, you know, this is a shameless plug. Nil Smith has a, a podcast um, and it's for church leaders, but also for just people in the not in the kind of communication social media space, too. Right. And um, his, his guests and just kind of keeping you on the front edge of technology where it's headed. Um, he's, he's our chief innovation officer. So that's a great plug. I love that. It's not a bad shameless plug at all. It's actually pretty valuable for our folks listening. Sure. Um, what, uh, what personal habits do you have to kind of keep you energized, like food, exercise, journaling? You talked a lot about that book, which I think is really helpful, but is there, you know, I know you got three kids at home, you're running around like mad trying to manage agency life. How do you stay sane? Yeah, that's a good question. Two things. You've got to work out. Hmm. I just think you don't have to be he-man, but you've got to be in the, in the gym uh, and committed to that. I just, you just have more energy and a lot of things that obviously flow out of that. And I'm just committed to making sure that I take time each, each week to read. So personally that's spending time in the Bible, but secondarily it's also spending time in good books. So uh, I'm, I'm late to the game, but I just finished finishing up Radical by David Platt, which is a great book. I read that book, Leading on Empty, which is fantastic. So I, I'll always want to be in something that's helping refine me, make me a better person, help me to think more strategically, and just be a better leader all around. I think that's important. You got to be intentional about that or it ain't going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, I'm a big reader too, so I'm, I have a bias there, but that's great. So last one here, uh, technology. Is there any tech that you're – messing with right now playing with you really like any apps that you really like like uh you know you have a little bit of a geek edge to you so what's what's getting you excited right now okay so this will show my my travel um propensities but the apps i spend a lot of time actually people don't know about this but there's one called flight view free the free version of flight view yes you can track your flights the, your inbound aircraft um and how long, what route they're going to take you on when they fly. I mean, I'm that nerdy when it comes to flying. I like to know when I'm going to be home or when I'm going to be at the meeting. And 
if there's a delay coming in. So I'm all about my travel apps. I have my set of club lounges that I hit up when I'm on the road. So I, uh, that's where I spend most of my, my company actually makes fun of me because the folks in my company, because I'm usually a, a, a late adopter to new technology. So anytime I jump onto something, they're usually, you know, just getting off of it or <laughs> fun of me. <laughs> that's great. I love it. Yeah, I have, a, I have a bunch of buddies who do mileage runs to get status at the end of the year. And so apps like FlightView come in really handy for that kind of yes, stuff. Yes, I've done that. I, I, I will admit I've done some, some mileage runs as, as well. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, hey, Trent, this has been a joy having you on today. Love your insights. Uh, love the value that you guys are adding to nonprofits. So um, thanks so much for joining us. We'll have to do it again. Absolutely. You bet. Enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser. The podcast is brought to you by Virtuous, the CRM and marketing automation software helping charities raise more money and create more good. Be sure to rate and subscribe. For more resources, head to virtuouscrm.com.